he was saying that he'd never eat at P.F. Chang's again because it's Chinese oh, food. Oh, no. <laughs> and oh, I was like, God. you do realize I'm Chinese, right? And he said, no, you're not. Not really. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. On this episode, I chat with Molly. Now, Molly is someone that I didn't know before this project. I had posted an announcement sort of asking for people who were willing to talk about their adoption experiences in the SAT or the S-A-A-T or the Subtle Asian Adoptee Traits group on Facebook. How funny is that name, by the way? And responded. We talk about how even with family, sometimes it can be a challenge to really fully be understood in the way that you want to be, especially in transracial families. And we also talk about the infamous where are you from question. It's a great episode and a great conversation, and I hope you like it. Hello? Hello. Hey. Hi. Molly? Yes. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Oh, I'm glad the link worked. Yes, this is good. Okay, nice to finally talk to you. Yeah. So something I like to ask, or well, I guess first is, where were you adopted from? So I was adopted from Hangzhou in 1999. Okay, I'm not really familiar with, is that China? Yes, it's in China. Okay, I'm not really familiar with like Chinese geography. Is that north or south or? It's like Middle East. If that makes Middle sense. East. Okay, yeah. yeah, sure. Cool. And like, where do you live? So I am currently living in Denver, Colorado, USA. Oh, okay. Is that where you grew up too? No, I grew up in many places. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when I first came over from China, I was in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. then I moved to Los Angeles, and then I we moved to Colorado Springs, and then in August I moved to Denver. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, that's we kind of bounced around a bit. That is so the opposite of me. I grew up in like one house my whole life. What's your family like? Both my parents are very white, about as white as you can be. <laughs> I have an older half-sister who's biologically related to my father, and I have a younger sister who's adopted from Vietnam. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. I love to, I've like, I feel like I've talked to a lot of people who are siblings, which was surprising to me, like siblings and that sibling is also adopted because mm-hmm. I'm an only child. So it's, it's just such a different experience. So my older sister, my older half-sister is like 10 years older than me. So I was oh, okay. treated as an only child for about 11 years. Oh, 11 years. And then your parents adopted your younger sister? Yeah. Oh, okay. 
why so much later, do you think? There was a lot of debate about whether to adopt a second child first off. Mm. And then it just, yeah. Okay. Circumstances kept pushing it off. What has it been like for you having a sibling or a sister who is also adopted? Do you feel like that has like made your adoption experience easier or? I almost feel like it's made it more complex because ah. my younger sister was an older adoptee. Oh. She remembered her family. She's actually in contact with her family now. So it's, wow. yeah, it's, it's this very complex thing for me because I was completely abandoned. Hadn't, you know, at like the age of probably around a year. So mm. there's no memories. There's just nothing. And then I see my sister just calling up her biological sister once a week and just, Oh, wow. And it's, it's very complicated because on, in one sense, there's this feeling of like, regret that I have no connections to my biological family but yeah. on the other hand I see my sister struggling because she was pretty much a child who wasn't chosen but also a girl yes also a girl huh okay because I always am fascinated by like you know obviously like the gender dynamics mm-hmm. because in China it was so heavily weighted against girls but it's interesting that in other countries that wasn't necessarily the case all the time like even within sat it's mm-hmm. like from china it's almost all girls but then from like korea and other places it's a mix yes actually that's like a great point i've never really noticed that well i haven't been in the group for very long mm-hmm. but that is very true like in the facebook group there is like all the boys are not chinese yeah <laughs> interesting huh Mm -hmm. do you feel like you were a product of the one child policy in China oh most definitely I was a bit older when I was abandoned I guess but I am almost certain I have a sibling out there just because I was a bit older do you know anything about your like abandonment situation I know that I was abandoned in a rather unpopular location so like no one else has been abandoned there before or since. Oh. Whoa. Yeah. It was in the middle of this like housing district across the street from like a barber shop. I was able to talk to some of the people who found me. I was found by the barber. Oh, whoa. Obviously couldn't, you know, take in a one-year-old at the moment. Right. So I was taken in by an older woman who lived like across the street from where I was found. I was pretty much found in a corner. So on one side is the barbershop, on the other was a house, well, housing complex. And so she pretty much kept me for a few days, hoping, like, apparently she was hoping that her son would adopt me, (laughs) but her son refused. And so I got sent to the police station nearby. Ah. And then you were, like, sent to an orphanage and put up for adoption. Mm, Okay. Wow. Would you ever go back to China and go back to that area or like explore your history in any way? So the only way I found this out was that I did go back to China. Well, oh, okay. Oh, shit. Before I went back to China, I thought that I'd been abandoned on my birthday, which I found out is not true. And 
I thought that I had been abandoned on the 3rd, which I found out I was abandoned on the 1st of mm-hmm. July. And I had no idea that this woman had kept me in her house for three days. Wow. All of that was new information for me when I went to China. Did you go to China like for the purpose of finding that kind of stuff out? No, I went to China because I was studying Chinese. Oh. Yeah. And so then, so at the end of my studying abroad, my mom decided to sign us up for a heritage trip through my adoption Mm. agency. And through that, we went to the orphanage that I would, well, the orphanage that shared the name of the orphanage that I was raised in. Because the actual place I would had been kept, what had been torn down, so they'd moved. And then we went through a lot of police records and found my abandonment site. And you did that, like, all on your own? So we had a translator with us. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like, the trip to the orphanage was facilitated by the adoption group. But besides that, we went to the actual abandonment site on, like, our own with the translator. Whoa, that is so crazy. I guess I really had no reason to think this at all, but I guess I just assumed that most adoptees didn't kind of find out anything about their, like, birth family history. And, you know, once I started this project, I obviously figured out that I was wrong and that it was just that thing where because it's your reality, you just assume it's everyone's reality. And it's crazy how many people I've talked to that have like stories like yours where they've talked to someone or figured out like a specific detail, like knowing the day you were abandoned is just so cool to me to just have that information. It definitely added to my story because before that, I thought that July 3rd was my birthday and I had a strip of paper that said July 3rd on it. 1997 so I thought that was from my birth parents but then I found out that was from the police station so it just I definitely think that looking into it helped me I mean yeah helped me figure stuff out I mean I would have pretty much been living a falsehood if I hadn't looked into Mm. it now I can say I don't know when my birthday is oh I don't know when my birthday is either but it's funny because I have always felt an like a disconnect between my birthday. I've never really cared about celebrating it. And I mean, I don't know, like particularly when it comes to astrology and like your zodiac sign and things like that. And I always got really frustrated because I was like, well, I don't know. Like I just have to go off of this fake birthday, which probably most likely isn't the actual day I was Mm -hmm. born and it was like poignantly meaningless (laughs) to me (laughs) yeah I'm like so curious to know just so that I can finally have a zodiac sign and be done with it (laughs) I definitely get where you're coming from especially for me because I thought for all these years that I was a cancer and I always seem mm-hmm. to lame it up with what the Cancer Zodiac thing was saying. But then I find out, yeah. oh, I might not be a Cancer after all. Yeah. And so, man, it, I'm. Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels very not accurate now. Something I like to ask 
people that I interview for this project is what are your thoughts on the idea of normalizing adoption and what would that even look like to you? Like what comes to your mind when you hear that? I love the idea of normalizing adoption. I mean, just because it is one way to make a family and it's not as uncommon as people think. And Mm -hmm. I think one way to normalize that would to perhaps not have so many just like sympathy. I don't know how to put it. Like on one hand, I want more representation of what adoptees are actually like in media. And on the other hand, I'm like, stop using the orphan trope because it's an obvious, A, it's obviously a sympathy grab, but also it really doesn't talk about what most adoptees go through. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it just doesn't. (laughs) It's like most adoptees are seen as these children that don't get any love and are sometimes screwed up. And I mean, yes, we all have problems. Some of us mm-hmm. have more severe problems, especially with abandonment issues. But it doesn't mean that that is, I mean, on one hand, yes, it's our, a very important part of who we are. But like, I have a billion other things going on. Other than yeah. I, was adop- mm-hmm. I was abandoned as a child and adopted. Yeah, it's like that abandonment becomes the identity. And that is just so far from the Mm -hmm. truth and I literally just made a post on social media about the orphan trope and how it's just painfully inaccurate and yet used and universally identifiable because it's so easy to it's like an easy way to frame an experience in a way that's relatable to people who are not adopted yeah and it's just crazy how many people believe that that's really what the experience is like, you know? What's, like, the weirdest thing that anyone's ever said to you in, like, relation to you either being Asian or not being all the way Asian or being, like, slightly whitish-seeming but they don't know why or, like, the, like, I don't know. Like, what's just something weird that people like that you've that you've heard so i've been told quite often that i'm not actually asian mainly by international students at my college they used oh. like when i was in undergraduate i'd tell them i'm chinese and they'd look at me and they say would like say you're not chinese <laughs> you're not even like chinese wow. american what would what was your response I, I, so the first time that it was told to me i was just baffled I was just yeah. baffled that this person would say that I'm not even Chinese American. Like I couldn't possibly understand why they're saying I'm not Chinese because, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't raised in China. Like, and I was, I was a U.S. citizen. unlike you know, them, but mm-hmm. to not, to say that I'm not even Chinese American, that seemed a bit harsh. And also like, who are you to be saying that to me? Mm. But I mean, at the same time, it also, it supported this very deep held fear of mine. I guess I should call yeah. it that I'm not actually ch- typical Chinese American because I'm an immigrant, yet I know almost nothing about, you know, modern Chinese culture. It's not like I was raised by immigrant parents. That's so yeah. true. 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's very strange. I got that a lot in undergrad, but I think the weirdest time it was said to me was by my uncle <laughs> right mm. at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh no. Yeah. He was saying that he'd never eat at PF Chang's again because it's Chinese oh, food. Oh, no. And oh, I was like, gosh. you do realize I'm Chinese, right? And he said, no, you're not. Not really. Yeah. That was the weirdest thing, time I think someone said that to me. Mm, yeah, like, what do you do other than laugh it off? Like, that's funny because I feel like I've said that about myself more than anyone has said that mm-hmm. to me. And like trying to convince other people, probably because I was just trying to convince myself that no, no, I'm not Asian. See, I'm white to the point where I would avoid like anything that was considered stereotypically Chinese. Mm -hmm. Two times in my life where I have like run like a stop sign because (laughs) I didn't see it. And, you know, the car behind me or whatever was there. And I got like so embarrassed because I was like, like literally the first thought in my head is, oh my God, are they going to see that I'm Chinese and then just think I'm, you know, just another bad Asian driver? I would feel relief when people would confirm, oh good, like they also don't think I'm Asian. Okay, that's good. This podcast is sponsored by, is there even a point in me saying that anymore? (laughs) Because it's still obviously sponsored by no one. Anyway, this episode's advertisement spot, I'm talking about Chewy. If you haven't noticed by now, at the end of each episode, I guess if you're listening all the way to the end, then you're an OG listener and thank you, thank you so much. But at the end of each episode, I have been including What I like to consider little bloopers of my dogs, mostly Watson, who is my Frenchie, snoring in the background. When I record these episodes, I'm usually in my closet because it's carpeted and the least echoey with all of my clothes. And they like to come in here and sit next to me while I record. Because he is a bulldog, he is quite snorty. And a lot of the time I have to re-record different sections because he is snoring too loudly in the background and it disrupts the conversation or the audio. Instead of just throwing those pieces away, I decided or I thought it would be funny to put them on the end of each episode as a gag reel. Now, Chewy has been indispensable in the pandemic because... It saves me from having to go to the store and buy food or toys or pee pads because they are both indoor potty trained. And I don't know, without Chewy, I really don't know what I'd do. They have an auto ship service in their app that I use on my phone. It just kind of allows me to not think about, do I have the right supplies? Do I have enough of what I need? be it food or wipes or, you know, anything, anything dog-related. Using the auto ship saves me money, and I can schedule it for however many weeks out at a time that I want. 
It comes right to my apartment complex in a big blue box with the word Chewy on the side, so it's easily identifiable, and I just love it. If you have a dog or if you have pets and you're trying to reduce the number of times you go out to the store to lessen your risk of exposure, then I highly recommend using Chewy to get your supplies. Ironically, you may or may not be able to hear my dogs currently having a fight in the background. Well, not a fight, but you know, roughhousing around. Anyway, okay, back to the episode. Heard that several times from different people that they would try to not be Asian. And I feel like mm-hmm. I I'm a bit breaking the mold there. I didn't mind being a minority. And then when I moved to Colorado mm-hmm. Springs, there was just like no one <laughs> who was Yeah. So when I got here, I was well, when I went, got to Colorado Springs, I was already very vehemently opposed to fitting in. <laughs> I wanted Mm -hmm. to go back to L.A. quite badly, but part of that may have been me trying to say, look, I don't fit in here. I'm not like any of the other students around me. And so I was just Mm -hmm. trying to prove my Asian-ness, which Mm. was also a bit easier saying as no one else really knew what to expect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like I've talked to a mix of people who sort of fall all over the spectrum on that. And I can't really say why some of us feel the need to prove that we're Asian or some of us feel the need to prove that we aren't. But I think the one thing that is like that spans all of our experiences is this need and pressure and desire to prove Mm -hmm. something regardless of what we're trying to prove. And I always think that that's interesting because, you know, it's a unique experience to sort of sit between two cultures or two races. And I think that, well, I used to think that it was just as simple as like pick one. But, you know, with age, I've come to realize that. I think we ultimately end up feeling this need to prove ourselves because it will be impossible to only pick yeah. one in, yeah, in definitely. the end, you know? I mean, I don't think I can remove the bits that my parents taught me about being white. It does make conversations about being a minority kind of difficult with them, though. Like adoptees need their own like cultural stamp almost especially interracial adoptees. Because, like, I mean, I've never felt shame about identifying as Asian because when I'm out on the street, that is what people will assume. So I get all those Mm. prejudices directed at me. But it definitely feels weird because Mm -hmm. then I'll talk to my Asian, you know, my friends who were raised by Asian immigrants And their upbringing Mm -hmm. is just so different than mine. Like, my parents were always very open about saying that they loved me. And their parents Mm. were not. Yeah, same. Or just things that were, you Mm. know, taught about how to do dishes almost. Like, just these most mundane things. Yeah. 
Well, it's because they're yeah. so cultural. And, like, the culture of the houses and homes that we grow up in are so vastly different than, like, any Asian mm-hmm. cultural home. I want to go back like, to... Even oh, no, no, go what ahead. holidays mean. So, like, the Autumn Moon Festival. For them, it's just a happy occasion, and they're just, you know, it's an excuse to eat mooncakes and sometimes feel a bit homesick. But for me, it's a lot deeper because, you know... For me, it's a day to remember my biological parents. And so mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. I'm a lot more just sober hmm. during those events than they are, if that makes sense. Yeah, like just more somber and mm-hmm. and serious and like pensive about yeah. what it means. I've never celebrated the Autumn Moon Festival. I've celebrated Lunar New Year. And my parents were adamant about celebrating my adoption day every year. But I was always sort of against it. (laughs) Again, that denial of anything Mm -hmm. Chinese. I want to go back, though, for a second to what you mentioned when you said that you felt comfortable identifying as at least Asian American, because when you're out on the street, that's what people see. And so that's what, you know, you're the recipient of that sort of behavior. Have you experienced a lot of prejudice because of your Asian exterior? The place that I lived in Colorado Springs was not very friendly to me. I mean, Mm. the actual, like, street I lived on, they knew my grandparents. I was living with my grandparents at the time. And so, you know, the kids on the street Mm. were nice to me because their parents were all like, oh, yeah, it's this orphan girl. Like, be nice to her. Yeah. But for the most part, when I went to, like, school, I'd get teased a lot for, you know, slanty eyes, darker skin, and straight hair. And then in middle school, I had a classmate with a very bad case of Asian fever, which got directed towards me. Oh, Yeah, I was 12. They were 12. It was very bad. They actually ended up getting, well, they'd they'd done a few other things wrong, but this was like the nail Mm. in the coffin and they actually got expelled. Wow. They had, they nicknamed me Wonton and Mm. said some very lewd things to me and made me just super uncomfortable. And that was like the first time that I experienced, you know, the Asian fever, which was super creepy. It sounds creepy, like just listening to you talk about it. I was super creeped out. I did not know what to do about it. It took quite a while for me to disclose to my mother what was going on yeah oh no i can't say that anything like that has ever happened to me i ask because or yeah like i asked that question because i feel was just sort of like the odd one out not in like a i mean not to make it sound like this is a group i want to be included in but i feel like i have gotten zero like racial negative racial interactions 
in my direction in my life. Like there's only one I can think of and it really wasn't that bad. And it was just like a, do you speak English type thing? And I don't know, like even that, it like didn't even register. And I said, yeah. And they were like, okay. And that was it. But other than that, I literally can't think of anything, any time in my life where I have felt like racism has been directed towards me specifically in like a personal way. And I grew up in a really diverse part of New Jersey. There was a really like healthy mix, or at least I felt like of different like races and cultures. And I also felt like I had a strong Asian group of friends. See, that's the interesting thing because for all of my denial about my Asianness, I felt the most comfortable and the most, you know, like air quotes at home with Asian groups socially. And I really am fascinated by that because it's almost like it almost like I camouflaged in in a way that made me feel safe but I could still stand apart when I wanted to I don't really know but that's sort of like a tangent but yeah like I don't know I never really experienced direct racism like that and I'm always wanting to know about other Asian adoptees experiences with that yeah I didn't really experience anything when I was in California it only really became an issue when I moved to Colorado. Maybe yeah. I was also just a bit too young to realize it oh. in California, but I think there is also just a lot less of it. How do you feel, or like when you were telling me about your, the story about your uncle, it made me think about just the whole, where are you from question yes. in general. If I'm asked where I'm from, I usually just say like Denver because that's where I live now. If they decide to be pricks Mm -hmm. and go a bit deeper and be like, no, where are you really from? Mm -hmm. I will kind of just say, well, if you want to spend 15 minutes and actually talk about that, then let's go. But usually at that point, (laughs) they decide, okay, let's not. (laughs) For me, I'm like, yeah, China is this country that I kind of originated in, but didn't spend much time in there after that. Do you wish you could know definitively what your like makeup was? Because I remember like when I was younger, it used to bother me that I didn't feel like I could, in a sense, I felt like I couldn't belong to any culture because, and I didn't want mm-hmm. it to be American just by default. And now that I'm older, I'm finding that I'm gravitating towards my dad's British and like English culture and finding new ways to connect to that sort of identity. But when I was younger, you know, I didn't do that. And I always got frustrated. I don't know. I always wished I could know so that I could then like look at a map and point at a country and like know that like that was my culture. For me, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm okay with leaning into the, to the fact that I am just boring, you know, Chinese, if I can say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I ended up in college studying other Asian cultures. So I guess yeah. maybe in that sense, 
I kind of decided to like hmm. just I kind of decided to choose a different culture than boring American or even, you know, my Chinese heritage. Yeah, interesting. You know, everyone who when I ask that question, the people who say that no they ba- they did feel, you know, connected to their Asian culture or basically that they did feel they had a culture to connect to have all done Asian studies in college. And I did not when I was in college. And I think that that might be the reason why that I have not experienced that or didn't experience that when I was in college because I've been out of college for a year, like for a handful of years now. But yeah, I feel so behind the eight ball in this whole study Asian cultures thing. (laughs) Every, I mean, as I said, I haven't been in college for a while. Talking to like younger people who are either in undergrad now or in graduate school now, and they're studying Asian culture in some aspect, sounds like they have an earlier and more comprehensive understanding of their own Asianness, as well as objectively way more than I did at that age. Well, at least my takeaway from studying Asian culture was that a lot of Asian cultures share qualities. So while the specifics may not be the same, I feel like I can mm. still connect with my Asianness in broad terms through perhaps other Asian cultures besides just oh. the one I may have perhaps supposed, well, have been born into and then taken away from right so interesting that's such a good point especially because i was torn away from that heritage so early in my life i'm not sure i -hmm. can still connect on the same level to that one heritage so being able to connect in right broad strokes to just asian culture in general is a bit more comfortable yeah it feels or like you know just my interpretation it just feels or like how it would feel for me, not my interpretation of your feelings, would be that Mm -hmm. that would be like a comfortable distance from it within reach and, you know, like touchable, but not too close. Which I guess, again, fits in with just adoptee dysphoria in general. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It goes back to that like somewhere between place where... You're not all the way this way, but you're not all the way that way. You're not too close to either side, but you're, yeah, you know, like literally as the the phrase implies, like somewhere between yeah. either side. My fa- my extended family would get around, would we'll, get together, and that definitely did nothing good towards me trying to like feel like I fit in. Because then all of a sudden they'd start talking about like... Mm. Just one memory I have very vividly is where people sitting around a holiday table, I can't remember if it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, talking about who had inherited grandpa's ears. And it was just, I sat there. I was like, oh, yeah. I want to say seven or eight years old. And it was really one of the first moments I figured out I am not one of these people. Wow. Well, I don't really have any more questions for you, and I don't want to keep you 
go over an hour, but do you have any questions for me or uh, I think it's really great that you're doing any this comments? It's, Thanks. It's a way to get, you know, adoptee voices out there because right now the community is very overwhelmed with parent voices, which although nice doesn't really help adoptees themselves figure out their own identities. Yeah, you know. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with me. Okay. Thank you for having me. Thank you me. so much again. This has been Bye. so great. Okay, that's the end of this episode and my conversation with Molly. As always, I hope you enjoyed it. And here is my question of the week. Christmas is just around the corner. It's in a couple days. So, I mean, you had to see it coming, right? What is your favorite Christmas movie? Mine? It's a close tie between The Family Stone with Diane Keaton, love her, and The Holiday, which I'm sure all of you know with Jude Law and Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz and Jack Black. Anyway, there will be an Instagram post on the podcast feed where you can tell me what your favorite Christmas movie is. And who knows, maybe there's one out there I haven't heard of yet. I don't think so, but maybe. Let me know. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at I'mAdopted.podcast. See you there.